Oh yeah, welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Thank you for complimenting on my on my radio voice. Now I'm going to take it to a whole whole new level. Uh, you're now listening to Innovation Crush with special guest Jane Buckingham. Uh, that was me, guys. In case you didn't know, it's it me and Chris Denson. Um, this uh, the show. In case you're tuning in for the first time ever, is called Innovation Crush, which I've said a number of times. Uh, we cover all things creativity, business, smart people doing smart things in the world. And uh, today, one of the smartest and most creative is here. Uh, say hello, Jane. Wow, that's quite an introduction. Hello. Well, it is, and it's, you're you're very much deserving of it. Thank you. Um, but for the audience, how about you, uh, if you don't mind, give a little bit of a the ninety second version of who Jane Buckingham is. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well, I run a company called Trendera, and we do trends and research and consulting. And I guess I started when I'm feeling very humbled by your guest who was nine and wrote a book um, because I wrote a book at 16, which clearly I was late to the party, but I was just always really interested in how young people think and feel. And my best friend said it best by saying I was more of an observer than a participant. And I've always just been fascinated by that. So I wrote this book called Teens Speak Out, terrible title. Um, Not bad for a 16 year old. I'm sure know? it was like off going to the prom or something. But, <laughs> um, and that led to working in advertising. I worked at Young and Rubicam. Oh, wow. um, okay. over my college summers and then worked at BBDO on Pizza Hut and then realized that I don't really want to be just in advertising. I wanted to be doing research and I wanted to be understanding these groups. And so I sort of kept going into youth marketing and understanding young people and ultimately went out on my own and started this company called Youth Intelligence. And I was very fortunate that sort of... Is there such thing yes. as youth intelligence? <laughs> A lot of people kept saying that. They said, oh, it's an oxymoron. And that was sort of my whole quest was to say, yes, young people are smart and young people need to be represented and young people's voices need to be heard. And also, all the clients I seemed to work on had less money than the clients they were up against. So I'd work on Converse, who was up against Nike and Reebok. And I'd work on a big anti-smoking campaign, who was up against Big Tobacco. And so... You know, people say, oh, you would talk to people on the street and you would find, you know, ways of being trendy. And I was like, no, we just had less money than everybody. So we it was at a time when that was becoming very trendy. And I think that was part of how we became successful, that and just really hard work. And so youth intelligence grew and grew. And then we did this thing called the Cassandra Report, which was sort of, I actually think Irma Zandel really had the first trend tracking report. Right. Um, but the Cassandra Report sort of, took on a life of its own and I did that for a while um, and then sold that company and moved out to Los Angeles and simultaneously had written this book called The Modern Girl's Guide to Life, which sort of opened up a different avenue of just sort of how to and helping people know how to do other things than trends. <laughs> and after, because I love writing right. and learning about people and have sort of kept doing that, understanding people and then writing about what make, it. Like, what makes you so curious about people, especially for so long, right? I mean, yeah. uh, like a 20-year career, I think <laughs> I read. But, you know, after a while, is it after a while you're like, I get it? Or like, are people <laughs> changing like that much? And like, what? why are you so curious about people to, to that degree? I think because the generations keep changing and um, there are always problems to solve. So for me, you know, if, it, if you assume that a generation changes every 15 years, there's always a new generation coming up. And because my career is about representing the next generation, that's a big rep responsibility. And if companies and parents and 
kids are going to listen to me talk about them, right. I feel a real responsibility to do it accurately um, and not be wrong. Yeah. So I don't like when people get mad at me. So, you know, <laughs> I really want to do it correctly. And then I actually just love solving problems. Um, maybe I should have been a forensic scientist, but I... Like, or Jeopardy contestant. Yeah, I'm not that smart. But, <laughs> um, but so I, you know, I really just like trying to figure out, well, why do they feel this way? Or how do they think? Or what can we do about it? Um, and so it's fun for me. It's always a different challenge. This may be a little bit of a one-on-one question, but when you translate those insights for brands, right, because there's a service side to what you do as well, you know, how do you start to create that emotional connection versus mm -hmm. just like numbers and facts and figures? Um, to me, it's always about the emotion behind it, right? Because at the end of the day, 98% of things come down to how we feel about something. Now, there can be a utility. You want something to get clean or you want something to drive further or you want something to, you know, make you less hungry. But when you live in most of the societies that we live in, it's about how something makes you feel. And so trying to understand the emotions behind a product or the emotions behind a TV show or the emotions behind a brand to me is sort of fascinating because nothing, almost nothing is as simple as it seems. So that to me is what you try and do. And I love finding patterns. So I love finding the patterns. So, you know, at the beginning of my career, before trends became really trendy, um, there was so much talk about cool hunting and finding the hot color and finding, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, the the next thing that someone could use is their promotional item. But now that we have the internet and trends go so much more quickly, it's really much more about the why. Okay, we know that... When you lace, say they go so quickly, do you mean like they come and go? They like come and go. Right, okay. They come and go. And also people can find them much more easily. We can all access the runway shows from our you know phone. We can all you know, see everything the minute that it happens for good or for bad. Um, mass production allows anything to be copied so right. much more fast. So for me, it's much more about the why and does it matter? And even how, because there was a conversation I had recently and we were talking about somebody was like up, almost upset because they were <laughs> at um, the, some dessert spot like during the middle of the day and they're like, all these, you know, 11 and 12 year old kids walked in and they were like dressed so cool right yeah. you know like a, like a, an instagram account where yeah. it's like oh cool fashion um and they're like when i was you know that age like i didn't care like it was wranglers maybe if i you know right. if we had them whatever my mom bought home um but and then we started talking about that sort of global connection being able to you can see fashion from france so easily like mm -hmm. you know when i was 11 no way. Like, unless I went to some random bookstore and got a the French L magazine right. or something like that. Um, so, I, you know, I don't, as sort of that act, I love that, that point of the idea of access to information kind of accelerates trends. Um, is it also then, therefore, hard to keep up and capitalize on them, you know? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that that's why what you want from trends has to change. Right. So, you know, it used to be that you might want to know about trends because you wanted to create an item and capitalize on that item. Or, you know, I remember the year when we were talking about knitting and macrame being hot to all the studios. And I thought, oh, my God, every single network pilot is going to have, you know, the right. main character macrame. And that's not the point. The point isn't that it's about macrame. The point is that people want to create their own things and it's about creation and discovery and that's more interesting. That's great. So, you know, 
that to me is more relevant than a particular hobby. Or so it's not what it is. Thing. It's why it is. Exactly. Uh, black people are trending on television. Finally, it's about time, <laughs> you no, know, it's but not. it's true. And, 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 you know, it's, I'm always curious and maybe, I don't know if you have an insight on this or not, but it just made me think of it because you look at, you know, shows like Blackish, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, and Empire. Scandal, and, mm-hmm. and then suddenly like every network has a slate of program featuring, and I won't say black people, just right. like minorities, right? Fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, Aziz Ansari's Netflix show, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, so you look at sort of cultural trends and being able to pay attention, like, I'm always curious as to how, whether it's just like jumping on the bandwagon mm. or is there genuine care? Like you said, there's an emotional connection when you're talking about knitting or macrame, but when you're talking about culture and ethnicity and diversity, then it's, you know, how much of it is PR and, and CSR versus... Yeah, you know, I think it varies. So I think that in a, there there's sometimes when it's about jumping on a bandwagon and sometimes when it's just about um, the best person for the role. So I think if you ask Shonda Rhimes, she would say when she cast Scandal, she cast the best person for the role. And Kerry Washington was the best person for the role. It wasn't about casting someone who's black. And same thing with Grey's Anatomy. She just cast the best people for the role. And my guess is for her, that's really true. Versus Blackish or Empire, where I think that the network said, hey, look, when we look at our demographics and we look at who is watching TV today, there are more, there are fewer Caucasians watching TV these days than, you know, Asians and African-Americans. Right. So we're going to create more programming. Whereas previously, white network heads said, I don't believe that. I don't care what the numbers tell me. I'm going to create the programming I want to see. Right. So I think that sometimes... So what are the white people up to if they're not watching TV? What do you get? What's, what's happening? <laughs> what are we up to? Um, <laughs> we're, I don't know, uh, hunting and shooting, um, on, you know, playing polo. Um, you know, I think that, I think there are lots of different... Well, for one thing, it, again, I don't want to generalize because... Sure. But I think that it depends on if they're in... In many affluent homes, there's more TV options, right? So you're going to have more diffused. You're going to have more um, uh, video games. You're going to have more laptops. You're going to have more options that are available versus a household that may have one or two TVs that may not have as many um, entertainment options. Um, I think also that for the first time, even if you are seeing yourself represented on a TV show, you're more interested in it than white people are like, oh, God, another show about me. Right. Right. Like, eh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to go online shopping. So I think that it might also be that, okay, finally, there's something that I'm interested in watching. The lack of escapism, if you will. Yeah. So I I think it's a combination of many things. Um, What is the science that goes into identifying a trend? Um, I wish it were an exact science. It would make my life so much easier. Um, You know, to me, I used to say, if we hear something in three places, it's a trend. And it can't be us saying it three times. Um, now, you know, it is truly looking everywhere. Um, and so it is everything from looking at quantitative research that we do, quantitative research that other people do, big data, which I find fascinating. And yet, you know, does big data create the trend or does big data reflect the trend? You know, it's right. always a question um, to just talking to people qualitatively across the country, in person, online, um, looking at every website, blog, um, ethnography, spending time with people. And then I also believe that it's gut. 
You know, I think that you have to, if you really want to be ahead of the trends, you have to say, I, I believe something and I think something, and now I need to go out and see if I can prove it. Right. And, you know, people would say to me, oh, are you upset that that other company is talking about the same trend you are? And I'd say, no, if I'm the only person talking about a trend, right. then I'm probably crazy, right? <laughs> like, right. I'm, I'm probably wrong. Having And the other most frustrating thing is sometimes you can't get data to prove a trend that you believe because it hasn't happened yet. Right. And when is a trend a trend? Is it when it's in, you know, nylon? Is it when it's in the New York Times magazine? Is it when it's on Scandal? When like, it's on Innovation Crush? It, of course. Duh, that <laughs> should... No, but, you know, yeah. what makes it a trend? Yeah. and that, I mean, it, it is tough. And, it, it, and to to identify those uh, those differences between a cultural blip and something that you feel is actually going to escalate and become be adopted like is there a tipping point of like critical mass right where uh, well i think that's changed too right right i mean i think that the scope of what people consider a trend is also really different you know we used when i first started all anyone cared about was that sort of niche influencer the the trendsetter who at the time was pierced and you know blue haired and now you know, the 10-year-old kid has three piercings and blue hair, and they're the most mainstream kid on the planet. So sometimes the most influencing person will tell you that they care nothing at all about trends. So it's really, in many cases, looking for a needle in a haystack. Well, I guess it's also defining the term trend, too, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm now realizing how complex your world is, so kudos <laughs> for your your success. Because it is like the, a trend, like kind of what's the cool thing? Right. Trend as a social behavior, you know, yeah. trend as in what the data reflects. Um, and, and going back to that point for a second, when you said the data either is it reflecting culture or is culture reflecting the data, you know, can you kind of explain the differentiator between the two? Well, or differentiators, you know, I plural? think sometimes, so a lot of times they'll say with political polling that they don't like to release political polling because if they say that a candidate is ahead, it might make people feel that, that that that's the candidate they should vote for. It's the Trump right? problem. Right. So that's what I mean. So if we, are we letting the data lead us or is the data indicative of how we feel? Part of why movie tracking is also often so wrong is because people genuinely do not know what they're going to do next Friday night. They don't know what movie they're going to go see because we're now a world where you decide what you're going to do when your friends text you 10 minutes before. So if a phone survey is asking you, what movie do you think you're going to see next Friday? You genuinely don't know. But you're going to give an answer because you're polite. So the systems, like many of our systems today, have not caught up with the devices that track them and the research that tracks them. And as a researcher, I will tell you that most research is flawed. And I will tell my clients that most research is flawed. So they'll call me and say, can you do a research? And I'll say, yeah, but, you know, exactly. it's it's not going to be want great one, research. I guess. And they're like, ah, <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, it's hard. And that's why you have to use some judgment and you have to, you know, I think the research is great at finding big obstacles and big opportunities. Yeah. But most of the stuff in the middle is going to be 
not so helpful. Well, like recently we had a guest, uh, Moran Cerf, who's mm-hmm. a neuroscientist and, you know, Grand Slam award winning mm-hmm. uh, moth talk about how, the time he was paid to break into a bank, but, you know, to, cool. to hack into their security. But he was also speaking about, especially when you survey people. There's so many factors that go into how you answer a, a yeah. question, let alone a series of questions. You right. know, your mood that day, the temperature in the room, right. you know, what phone call did you have before you entered that room? Like all those different things. Have you started to explore more sort of, um, I don't know, passive forms of research, whether it's like biometric data? Yeah. Um, and, and if so, like what? I, I think there are great new techniques out there. I think biometrics are great. I think observational is great. Um, I think self-reported sometimes is great. You know, I think it really depends on what question you're trying to answer at the end of the day. And I don't think you can generalize because I think that it all has to do what the problem is you're trying to solve. And, and by the way, having said that, I think getting information is always good. It's just that you can't look at anything as the silver bullet to your problem. And, you know, I think there was a moment and part of the reason why trend hunters got a bad rap was they thought, oh, these people are going to solve my problem and, you know, change the direction of my company. And no, nobody can do that. That's not, that's not the answer. It was because uh, I liken it to weather reporting, right? It's <laughs> with a, probably a little bit more probably. accuracy. I hope, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. I mean, I'm, I'll pump you up. Like, uh, I don't want you yeah. to lose all your business. No. Um, <laughs> Just a little is fine. I could use a vacation. Um, but yeah, you know, so as you know, as a service provider, you mm-hmm. know, to these clients and saying like, hey, here's all the information we have. But just so you know, so how much of it do you go into, like you just said, helping them solve their real problems and like re- realizing like the trends are just information and uh, let's call it a compass. Mm-hmm. Um, but not necessarily, you know, going to solve all your problems. Cause there was a, we had another guest recently. It was like, every problem is a people problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the data can show whatever, whatever's mm-hmm. happening in the marketplace. And if your business is failing, most likely it points back to some sort of internal thing that's happening. Well, that's probably true. I mean, in the sense that people, create pretty much everything, right? So let's say you're a major retailer. If we find out, if a major retailer says to us, teen girls aren't shopping in our store, all right? That could be a, that's a problem someone will ask us to solve. What, why, and what do we do about it? So we go in and we look at all their merchandise and we look at what else everybody else is doing and we do some quantitative research and we do some qualitative research and we see what the trends are in fashion and we'll go in and we'll say, here's what's wrong. Your designs suck and their designs are way better and here are some people who we think you should do licensees with and here are here's how we would change your merchandising and here's what PR you should do and here's what you know social you should do and you know we can give them lots of really specific recommendations is it a people problem yeah because their designs are a problem but is it bigger than that because you know there are lots of things that they're not doing sure can we say what the trends are yes if we say very specifically, if you sell this sweater, you will be a gazillionaire, we're never going to say that. Right. But, you know, for example, to a major retailer, we said a few years ago, um, when the Dance Mom show first came out, I right. was like, Maddie Ziegler is going to be a big star. And they're like, you're hilarious. <laughs> like, that show is a train wreck, and we're not going anywhere near it. Right. And I was like, 
okay, but she's going to be a big star. And they're like, mm-hmm, funny. And we have a great relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a long-standing client. About two years after, they were like, yeah, she's, she's big. I'm like, you guys should totally do something with her. And they're like, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Right. I said, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. So Maddie Ziegler is becoming a big star. She's amazing. You know, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's talented. She may not be right for that retailer. So I'm right and they're right. right. It's not, you know, she's a big trend. They're still a big retailer. Could they do something together? Probably. Plus, she might grow up and like turn a little awkward. You know, once she might. The, That's true. The braces but and the I don't pimples think so. I and think the, gonna be, the lankiness think, yeah. kicks in. He'll be like, ah. Yeah, I think she's going to hit it. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it's still, it's still an area where, you know, I'm never going to say to a client, you have to do this. And they're never going to say, our entire business is built by Jane Buckingham or our entire business is destroyed by Jane Buckingham. Right. Because if they're doing a good job, they're looking at I mean, they have a 30,000-foot level. Mm-hmm. And the trends are just a part of yeah. the overall vision. Yeah. Um, speaking of growing up awkward, so you wrote this book. Me. when <laughs> When, you, when uh, you were 16, Oprah loved it, right? Is that, is that correct? I was on Oprah. I was, you know, very grateful to do that. Although in the way that only, a, I think maybe at that time, 17, 17-year-old can, 16 or 17, I was, remember I was rehearsing for my school play. I had the leap, the, my first lead in a school play and the... Um, PR person from the publisher called me backstage and said, you have to on a regular landline phone and said, you have to get off, you, know, you have to leave now. You have to go get on a plane to go to Chicago. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I cannot leave rehearsal. I I can't. And I was like, I'll call you later. Bye. Click. You know, my mother had to call and say, no, 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 no. You have to go and get on a plane. Did they tell you it was over at the time? Yeah. All whatever. Right. 16-year-old Jane was like, whatever. Like, I'm Who? sorry. I have, I have the lead in the school play because you're 16. <laughs> right. If I were... 25 i would have been panicked but when you're 16 you just are like no you have different priorities was this big oprah or little oprah uh <laughs> you don't have to answer i that. can't remember <laughs> i don't care i was you know i do remember the most exciting thing it was it was the first time i was in a hotel by myself and i had two beds and right. so i literally got up in the middle of the night so that i could switch beds so your mom was like no no you're gonna do this yeah. let's talk about the parenting you received prior to mm. you know even writing the book right you, you yeah. mentioned earlier like being a, an observer versus a participant which is really an like an important differentiator for yeah. a teen because you yeah. can participate in some some wrong things um so you know what was what was stewing in the <laughs> i don't know your maiden name but uh rensler the, the rensler home yeah. oh yeah that's yeah the rensler home yeah that you know kind of prepared you for to take that you know take those steps you know i am truly the product of my parents my father was a psychiatrist and my mother was a writer and so it makes sense that i would want to think about things and write about them (laughs) my parents were divorced my mother was a writer at glamour which is ironic because i am now a contributing editor there and a really nice coming home for me um and uh then my mother decided to go back to law school and so I have an older brother. I have a younger half-brother who also is a writer. And um, so I was very independent growing up. And, you know, we were very much sort of not, I don't want to say left to do on our own, but, you know, told to do things on our own. And so, and my mother was very, a very empowering mom. You know, she sort of trusted us and I think believed that we could do whatever we wanted to do. And so I remember reading this book by a psychiatrist and saying, yeah, this guy doesn't know what to ask. And she said, well, what would you ask? And I wrote down a bunch of questions and she said, oh, you know what? Those are actually good questions. And I think because 
I had a decent head on my shoulder. She she knew I would follow through. And I literally remember sort of sitting there hand-tabbing surveys of, that I'd sent around to all these schools wow. with um, the research. I look back now, and as a researcher, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't read that book. Yeah, don't read that book, not, <laughs> let alone the picture. But um, – but I, you know, I'm but still kudos. Like you know, it's like. No, I, but I also wasn't good at sports and you know all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm glad it led me to something that I was so passionate about because right. I don't know that I would have known that. And you know, also people say, oh, and then when you started your company, you must have. What was your business plan? And how did you? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, business plan. I'm just like, Never I'm still working. Yeah, on it. <laughs> I like still working on it because I was 26. I had no debt. I had no. You know, I was incredibly grateful that right. you know my parents, my mom paid for my college. And so I was working, I was running this youth marketing department at an ad agency. And I was like, well, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'll go get another job. So I didn't have any employees. It was me. And very slowly I grew the company. And I literally every day sort of thought, I'm sure we won't have any clients next week. And right. it, you know, and 20 years later, I still think we'll ne- we won't have any clients next week. Now that you're all grown up yes. and modernized, um, define the term modern girl. Um, you know, it's funny cause I definitely feel older than the modern girl now and I have a lot of respect for her because but you still got it. I hope so. <laughs> um, I have some of it. Um, I think that today's modern girl is definitely a girl's girl. She is someone who helps out her friends who, you know, is a working girl, but you know, probably thinks she has to do it all, but knows that she can't do it all. So she's looking for those tips and tricks and little secrets that we share so that she can share it with all of her friends. And when I say a girl's girl, she's a girl's and a guy's girl. Like she's just not that bitchy girl who, you know, is going to do anything to get to the corner office. Right. And, um, you know, I think that it is someone who is, to me, I wrote the Modern Girls book because I was so good at my door. I was good at my job and so bad at everything else. And I just felt like I needed those. I wanted all of those secrets. My mom died when I was 21. And I, part of it, I'm sure was not having that person to help you out. And, you know, it was a little pre-internet. So I, you know, you couldn't get it all in one place. And I just wanted, like, when someone would go, oh, do you know you shouldn't put the avocado with the fruit because it'll spoil the fruit? And you're like, oh my God, no, I didn't know that. I or, didn't know that. Right? I mean, <laughs> genius. Or you go, oh, that explains it. Stupid, stupid, like not as smart as, you know, statistical regression analysis, but super helpful. And you just want to put it all in one place. Yeah. that's. I mean, it's interesting. You know, you kind of, it was, you kind of wrote the book for yourself, mm. right? Like you, it, I totally wrote the book for myself. And people are like, how do you know all of this stuff? You are so smart. I'm like, no, I am so stupid. I had to write this book because <laughs> I had to learn this book. And Literally, I will forget and go reference myself. I think you should have just called it Note to Self. I, I would have, except that then maybe no one would have bought it. <laughs> um, so let's get into some practical stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, It's t- we're winding down 2015. Mm. Um, what has been the most surprising trend you've seen happen this year? Or now, not happen? Uh, well, surprising is always hard. Because I'm such a genius. No, because, <laughs> I, you know, because I think that I didn't totally get Normcore, but that was probably last year because I think I didn't get Normcore either. Like I, I, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, well, why? Like it's so like unattractive. Okay, and cool. like, why would you do that? Um, I, 
I find a I love the millennials. Everyone's like, oh, they're so entitled. I'm like, I love millennials. I think they're awesome. Um, I I'm 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 concerned. I will tell you, and this could just be part of getting older, that I do feel like we are at a point where people are are scared and fragile right and with the shootings and the terrorism and the economy and you know even you know hurricanes and global warming everyone does feel so fragile and there is a level at which that's actually okay because you retreat to family and you retreat to your home and you play board games and you cook and you do things that make you feel safe and secure. But there is a breaking point at which you just can't take it anymore. Right. And I I feel as if we are getting to that point where you're like, where it's going to be a crisis. And I don't know what that leads to. And either the government is going to have to create enough change or companies are going to have to create change or individuals are going to have to create enough change because we are not going to be able to exist under that level of stress. That's interesting. I, and I'll, every time I, you know, I hear something like that where it's like, we're reaching this critical mass of, mm. you know, bad shit happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I think about 20 years ago, it, a lot of the same things mm. were happening, but we didn't have access to the information so readily. Right. And it wasn't a, like you look at a Facebook feed and it's police beatings mm -hmm. and just everything you just mentioned, like scrolling through. So either you, you know, you disconnect that account, which I just did for almost three months. I was like, okay, I'm, yeah. let me take a break from it myself. Right. Um, you know, but also there's, I mean, there's physiological reactions like FOMO, right? The fear of missing out, like that still draws you back into that world. So it's like this tug of war between, you know, almost literally war yeah, <laughs> uh, true. between what you want to know and what you don't want to know. And like, how do you sift through that? And still it's really hard to reconcile. And I think that people are really, really struggling. And, you know, that's why I'm really curious to see how this next generation, the Gen V deals with it, but they've got a while before they can start truly manifesting change um, because they're coming into it without sort of the optimism that Gen Y came into it with. You know, they're growing up in a much darker time and in a much more technical time that they're just going to be like, yeah, we're over it. Like, well, how much, how much of it though is like kids being kids? Because that, that was actually that was what I, where I was going to go with the whole sixteen-year-old thing, you know. Because there's obviously some things that will remain mm. true, like you know that youthfulness, playfulness, or may, maybe it won't. Maybe what you just said is will hold true, and like there will be sort of a, you know, a, a more serious tone or, or growing up quickly, or what mm. I don't know how you want to phrase it, but um, you know. How much of what's always remained true remains true? And well, I think there are always stage of life issues and then there are generational issues, right? So I think that you could say that there are distinct differences between how Gen between how boomers think and Gen X thinks, and how Gen X thinks and Gen Y thinks. But there are certainly things that were similar about Gen X as a teenager and boomers as a as a teenager and Gen X as a teenager and Gen Y as a teenager. So Yes, we're all going to go through our first kiss and we're all going to go through getting our first job. And we're all going to go through those stage of life things. But if, for example, we're seeing a, you know, a quantitative shift in young boys not wanting to get their driver's license because they don't want the pressure of having to drive a car. 
and saying things like, I'll take Uber. Right. Right. And not in every city because, A, it's an economic issue and um, it's not available in every city. But, but you also can't honk the horn at hot girls walking by if you're in an Uber. So I think that good would be point. a good sales point you probably for driving. could because you could get an, uh, cat, cat whistles right, and, or a honking app. Yeah, honking, a honking app. app. <laughs> um, problem solved. Problem solved. Good job. But, or that, you know, you talk to young people today and they genuinely would rather hook up with their friends because they don't want the emotional commitment that a relationship needs, which didn't work previously because young girls weren't as willing to fool around. But with the beauty of empowerment and sexual aggressiveness in females, they're like, dude, I'm fine with that. And they're happy to do it too. So sexual relationships or love relationships are taking longer to mature because they're like, I want to have my first sexual experience, but I don't actually want to connect because that's scary and intimidating for me as a 14-year-old. So I'm just going to fool around with my best friend, which by the way, is just as complicated in the reality of it. But if you're 14, that actually kind of makes sense. Right. So things are changing because things in the world change. Does it change 100%? No, but it does change. And then as an Xer or Y, we judge it because it's not the way we did it. Because we can't fully understand it. Right. And so... I'm judging it now. I have a, I have a 10-year-old daughter, so now I'm all pissed yeah, off. Yeah, Thanks. We're, we're, honestly, I have a 14-year-old <laughs> no, son. I have a 12-year-old daughter. And it is also very hard. You know, we also... I, I live in LA. We, we're doing a study now on coasts versus the center of the country. Because so many of our clients will say, like, well, that's, you know, the way it is. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. No. Uh, kids in the rest of the country don't get Hermes bracelets for their bat mitzvah gifts. Kids in the rest of the country don't always go to bat mitzvahs, like, you know, right. and certainly not where Ariana Grande performs. So, you know, this is not reality. So we are trying to show that or even look at what is what is the reality of coastal versus the rest of the country trends. Um, so... You know, I think there are changes, and it's important to look at those changes, but then also understand where that might lead. Does I mean, as you see things changing, right, and as each generation, like you, I think you made a great call on the fact that there's a layer of judgment on those crazy kids. Right. Uh, in my day, kids we would have days. never, um, you know, is there, do, do you ever feel any sort of pressure, I don't know, to... Do you ever skew any way to like try to identify trends that uh, like are staying the same or do you want yeah. them to stay the same? Like, oh my God. I would love them to say to stay the same. I mean, I think that I also think trends repeat. And I think that again, a lot of the core values of what we want are the same. Right. So, you know, a lot of fashion trends stay the same. I think they say in entertainment, there are only 10 good stories. Right. So it's not as if everything is fundamentally different. Um, you know, we were, we just did this love and sex survey and we were talking in my office because um, I think it was 48% of the Gen Ys said that they believed that they would get married someday or they wanted to get married. 48% said that they wanted to get married. And we were saying, is what does that mean? Like, does that mean that, because I perceive that as low. I said, wow, if only half of them are saying they want to get married. Right then to me, that's lower than what I think previous generations would have said. And, you know, a certain number in the study 
were married. So we had, then we were trying to cross tab. Was it people who said they were married who weren't married? Because you have to sort of right. pull that out. But I think people in my generation, a lot more people would have said that they wanted to get married. Yeah, I mean, even now it's like they're saying how millennials are delaying, yeah. you know, those those types of life for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, and I think, like I said, at, that is going only going to continue to uh, be reflected in uh, younger generations. Um, I read that you're also an expert on Gen V, which I had never even heard of until I read that. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so. We just made it up. Well, actually, we kind of did. Well, I MTV mean, just made up founders with their, for, uh, we were like, what, really? What? It, it, which offended a lot of people. We, I, uh, shout out to Irvy who's sitting over there. Yeah. Um, but we were, we were talking about this yesterday and we were like, wow, where did they found? Yeah. Like, it was, <laughs> it was, which the other one that I didn't like was Becomers because right. I was like, they are. They're not becoming something. That just that just makes We're it all sound becoming like something. right. Or also like that denies that who you are at the moment. Very it true. just makes it sound like only the future matters. Um, so to me, at, when we when we started calling them Gen V, it was when everyone was calling them Gen Z, which by the way is such a Gen X thing to do. Like, well, that's it. We're done. We're done with Gen. <laughs> right. We're done with generations. Gen AA. We're finished. So to us, we said Gen V because for Gen Viral. That if it doesn't go viral, it doesn't matter. Having said that, a lot of people are like, Gen Virus? We're like, no, 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 not Gen Virus. <laughs> so we're sticking with Gen V until we can come up with something. Not to be confused with genital virus. No, which, you know, we definitely want them to right, avoid. No. Okay. Um, but, well, know. with all this casual best friend stuff, you, you never know. You never know. Um, scary. <laughs> uh, let's talk about work-life balance for a second. You mm -hmm. know, you have a family yeah. and... You know, growing up under the umbrella of psychiatry yes. and cultural writing and, mm. you know, just kind of, you know, how much of you is mom? How much of you is Jane Buckingham, the, mm. the trendsetter? And, you know, and how do you balance all that stuff out, especially with, you know, numerous books and yeah. speaking engagements and being here on this show? You know, well, clearly not well, because, you know, it's taken me <laughs> too long to get in here. Um, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard. And I think someone said to me, oh, you're a super mom. And I was like, you know what? I really hate it when people say that because I think it perpetuates this idea that some of us can do it and some of us can't. And I don't think anyone can. And I don't think that it's, someone said to me, and I, and I like this analogy, that it's not so much balance as it's you have to look at it like a ship because you're always going to be tilting too much in one direction and that you just have to not capsize because you're going to tilt too much to the work and you're going to tilt too much to the family. You just, when you realize that, you have to correct it and try and bring it back because it's impossible not to if all of those things are important to you. And they are all important to me. But at different points in my life, I have had to say I am tilting more towards my family because this is a stage in my family's life when that's right. essential. And, you know, I, my son has a soccer game today at 3.15 and I will be there. And that means that I will let down my colleagues because I will not deliver something to them that they need. I wouldn't let down a client, but I'm not going to deliver something to my colleagues that they need. I might let down my family because I'm not going to make it to every single soccer game, but I will be there for most of them. I also think, quite frankly, it's a lot easier when you run, when you run your own company, right? You know, and I, I am, you know, it, if you're not the boss, you don't get to decide. And yeah. you know, I, I think it's very, very, very hard 
for most people. No, it is. I like, I, you know, I have two kids and, yeah. the, and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, shoot, there's ballet rehearsal. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, uh, like I'll actually feel bad because my, my son's had like two hip hop dance classes and I haven't been able to go. Right. Right. But he's but I, like kind of like you, like in my mind, I'm going like, all right, he's three. Like, you know, he's all he's two. So he's will he remember really like I'll show up to one, but he like, will not. But I feel like an ass as a dad. But then also like, OK, I. I it's this constant sort of self-monitoring of the, you know, like you said, that text you get 10 minutes before you're like, okay, can I do this? Or can I go to that meeting? And and it's just a, you know. It's a constant pull and pull. And it's also, again, we now live in a world where everyone believes that they can be at everything and they should be at everything, both for work and personally. So you're forever feeling guilty. Right. And the more kids you have, the more kids you think you should be there for. And the, again, the best advice I've gotten, I don't always take, is confident parents make confident kids. So the best thing you say to your kid, I believe, is I will make it to four of your soccer games. Right? Right. Okay. You'll make it to four of my soccer games. Not, I, I might make it, I might not. Right. I'm, you know, like... Because otherwise, you are setting up this unrealistic expectation. My kids didn't care if I picked them up, you know, two days a week, one day a week. But for me, I cared. Right. And so I made it a lot harder on myself. There's also like, you know, making the best of those that time. It's like there was someone, I forget who said it, but they were talking about how, you know, kids remember moments, right? So you create those special moments. Maybe you're not at everything, but the one thing you do go to, you like, you make it awesome. Right. Right. That's Um, true. So that's, that's pretty cool. So the show is, I want to ask you so many more questions, but we're going to wind down a little bit. Um, But uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. uh, And you've seen a lot, obviously looked at the, at the world through a very different lens. Um, What out in the marketplace do you see that you are currently crushing on? Oh, wow. What am I crushing on? I'm super crushing on all the technology that's coming. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Bill Gates, who said that we overestimate the change that happens in five years and we underestimate the change that happens in 10. Because I think we tend to be very short-sighted, right? Like, oh, wireless headphones aren't working. They're never going to work. And then, you know, two years later, they're amazing. And you know, there's this Instagram just at tech and every day it just serves up like super cool tech things that I, I crush on every day. So whether it's, you know, Google and Levi's are coming up with fabric that you'll just swipe yeah. on, you know, stuff like that, that you just go, that is just going to be cool. Um, because I believe that that will help us hopefully feel less stressed. Um, I totally crush on female politicians who are trying to do right in the world um, because I could never, ever, ever do that. So women like Kamala Harris, um, Senator Gillibrand, um, I really admire that. Right. Um, Have you done any governmental work? No. I mean, only anti-drug, anti-smoking, things like that. I would imagine they should tap you on the shoulder to... I love it when they do. I mean, I really do. I'm always happy to do that kind of stuff. Um, that's, you know, but I, I think it's the technology, it's the healthcare. I think all of those things are, are super, super innovative. Um, and I think are, are great. Well, uh, that's a good dovetail into the next question. Cause I want you to divi- define the term innovation. So complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is. It's so boring, but just thinking differently, it's not being defined. It's, um, challenging the rules um 
it's going somewhere. (laughs) It's repeating Star Trek. Um, It's going somewhere (laughs) no one went before because I think it is um, making it better. That's great. Um, I'm going to stuff another question in here. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Irvy wrote in a, a little piece on Gen X and oh. like how this, you know, it's kind of like um, the generation that doesn't really get any, nobody pays attention no, to us. No one loves us. Uh, how should brands, okay, but we're also very powerful. Mm. So how should brands or the world, I don't know who you want to look at, think about Gen X? I think we are really ignored and really misunderstood. And I think that we, you know, everyone says, oh, we went through this midlife crisis. And to me, we came out of it more focused on family, security, and redefining what happiness and success meant. But we don't know what it means because all of those ideas of you'll be married forever, you'll rise to the top of the corporate ladder, and you'll be successful, you're, you know, president won't cheat, but he will. Your, you know, clergy won't molest children, but they will. All of those things fell apart. So we don't have that white picket fence ideal that anyone used to. So I think the ways, and we don't trust anyone. So to me, the way that brands actually can most appeal to us is to provide a sense of safety and security and a new idea of what success means. Because since we don't know whether it means showing up at the soccer game or getting to the top of the corporate ladder, and we don't know whether it means, you know, being a good dad or being the super mom, to give us a little sense of how we can feel successful, it's not the same pat on the back that or the trophy that the Gen Ys we think they need. It's more of a safety net that we feel like we lost right and while innovation i think is inevitable and really important to gen x i think the underlying emotion is we got your back because nobody's had it for a long time awesome thank you thank you this This was so fun thank you uh how can people find you uh well on instagram i'm jane buckingham on twitter i'm jane buckingham and then we're at trendera.com All right. Well, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, Thank you again, Jane Buckingham, for joining us. And uh, we will talk to you next time.